0: Politics without the soap opera, with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew, as if this is 1776 all over again. For those of you who know what time it is, well, this is the show for you, where we know th- the time on the clock is dwindling. It is dwindling here this Tuesday on this kind of abridged week here at CR Podcast. And the thing today that I want to focus on is that we're always playing catch up. Even to the extent we have people focused on the issues that matter. It's always too little, too late. Always behind times. Always congratulating ourselves. Finally addressing the thing that was harming us last decade when they've already moved on to bigger and better things. How do we change that? How do we create a new modus operandi where we're ahead of the curve instead of being flattened by the curve? Um, We're always, always, the GPP is so happy they ended this emergency, okay? Biden ended the emergency, yay. Three weeks before he planned on ending it in the scheme of a three-year and three-month timeline. But guess what? It's all ceremonial. Because you know what? At the same time, Biden is not only doubling down on the mass vaccination genocide, which was always the biggest issue of COVID, but he's dumping another five billion into it, doing warp speed 2.0. And Republicans are like, hey, look at the GOP house. We ended the emergency. No, you didn't. You won't even broach rhetorically the vaccine issue, and he's already on to the next iteration. That's just one of many, many examples that I want to talk about today. First, our sponsor today, Back for the Spring. Um, It's that time of year again when your lawn was a little bit devastated by the winter. You look at your neighbor. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Cannot covet thy neighbor's property, but let's face it, we all... Uh, kind of look longingly at our neighbor's uh, trees and shrubs and manicured lawns. are like, man, I want my piece of the dwindling American pie, my castle, my home to look nice. Well, now's the time to do it with fast-growing trees. Um, I just went to fast-growing trees and got myself a lime bush and a chocolate chip uh, Juga for ground cover. Um, my wife took point on that this year. But the thing I like about them is, number one, they have a bunch of experts. That will help you decide what's good for you. On their website, they curate. You know, what do you want? Do you want shade? Do you want privacy? Do you want fruit? Um, gives you all the options. Very, very high quality. So when I got it out of the box, it was much better than what I typically pick up from Lowe's. You know, the local store. And and that's the thing. It's also shipped right to you very quickly. By the way, too. And you don't have to worry about all that hassle, hauling it, and then, you know, it tips over in your car. You get all the dirt in your car. You don't have to sit and wait on lines, those Sundays, which are always busy this time of year, at the store. Um, And they have stuff, really, for all seasons and beyond, but particularly for the spring. And with fast-growing trees, you get a 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, to know everything looks great out of the box. But if it doesn't, I've often spent, you know, a hundred bucks on something and then it was a dud. It never works. So 30 day, um, alive and thrive guarantee. Join over 1.5 million happy fast growing trees customers. Go to fast dot com slash conservative. Now to get 15% off your order. That's fast dot com slash conservative. 15% off your order. Make your life Make your, your property look like part of the American dream while you still have it. So, folks, the GOP is it, it's always chasing the next issue, the next issue. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with 9-11. So many, so many of us, myself included, threw away a generation chasing our tail on Islamic terror, on the narrative of 9-11. And now we're finally like, yeah, that was a dud. Oh, it's China. China's it. China's the problem. But that's also misinformation. That was in the 90s we should have been onto that when Clinton first cozied up to them. That ship has sailed. I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we can to deter them. But what I am saying is the, the calls are coming from our own home. The issue is Our own government has become like China, the surveillance state, the persecution state. Obviously, many of you have heard the news yesterday from the House Judiciary Committee that FBI agents were penetrating Catholic churches to try to root out what they called extremists. I mean, when have you ever seen problems from organized Catholic groups in America, of all things, causing problems? Obviously, there are no problems. They want to sow division, disquiet, marginalize those of us with strong political, religious, and social beliefs that are uh, found unfavorable by the spirit of the age and the governing class. And they work together with what they call mainline parishes, which are basically, you know, kind of like the equivalent of mainline Protestants, Reformed Jews the pagan fake religious people to go and marginalize those who really adhere to the religion this is what the fbi is doing and they're doing it on multiple fronts that is china at least in china they know what they can and cannot do here we have this false veneer of freedom and we don't have it and it's time to bring this out in the open this is where the fight's at it's not over china Again, you you think about all those years we spent juicing up these authorities for the FBI, for Homeland Security, the creation of Homeland Security, because we thought we were going to fight Islamic terror. And then the whole joke was, from its inception, the Department of Homeland Security was working with the Muslim Brotherhood. But now, they use it against us, and really have been for quite some time. So... Number one, China is almost a straw man now, too little, too late. The real battle is our own government turning into China. But number two, as we mentioned, the issue is not the lockdowns or the, you know, declaration of emergency. That needs to be reformed long term, and I don't see proposals from the GOP to do that. We have put forward a lot of different ideas and leverage points. But guess what? Now... Our buddy Biden is dumping in another $5 billion, $5 billion to vaccines. Think about that. $5 billion. Because, of course, you know, we don't need appropriations from Congress or new appropriations because they do it so loosely we basically get ruled by executive fiat, so they could just create Warp Speed 2.0 without even having to uh, to get a new appropriation. White House launching $5 billion program to speed coronavirus vaccines. This is from the Washington Post. The Biden admin is launching a $5 billion plus program to accelerate development of new coronavirus vaccines and treatments seeking to better protect against still mutating virus as well as other coronaviruses that might threaten us in the future project next gen the long anticipated follow up to warp speed the trump era program that sped coronavirus vaccines to patients 2020 would take a similar approach to partnering with private private sector companies private sector companies partner means that you give them a bunch of money but you absolve yourself of all liability to expedite development of vaccines and therapies. Scientists, public health experts, and politicians have called for the initiative, warning that existing therapies have steadily lost their effectiveness. So it's funny, while they still fund, promote, and even mandate in some settings, the new ones, the old ones, simultaneously, they say, yeah, it doesn't really work in order to promote New ones, so they get it all. Maximize the revenue for Pfizer. But as you well know, this is about a lot more than just corporate greed. This is a transhumanist, genocidal agenda. Who knows what they have in this stuff? But they talk about exciting new technologies. A pot of money was finally created to free up $5 billion for the initiative. Promoting new therapies. And what is so scary about this is that we don't even have any team on the field. We don't have any team on the field. Just the opposite. Republicans, 95% of them, are cheering this on. This is from a letter, um, the, now he retired, but Senator James Inoff from Oklahoma and Richard Burr from North Carolina. They wrote to Biden last August. Operation Warp Speed was the most successful public health program since smallpox. Saved millions of lives and should be resurrected as soon as possible. So they're working together. Project Next Gen. Next Generation Warfare. So first of all, this is just another feather in the cap of Trump. Why Trump has totally disqualified himself. Wait, so the guy who created this is now going to be the man to militate against it no well he won't he won't mention it because he thinks it was a success he'll just say well biden's piggybacking off of my success they're calling it warp speed 2.0 we can't even get republicans to admit the first batch war problem so this is what I mean. They're like they're always focusing on yesterday's issue. Oh, the lockdowns, the school closures. Oh, you know, we ended the emergency. Yeah, but they're still using quasi-emergency authorities under numerous other authorities or just lawlessness to forge ahead with the Joseph Mengele experimentation agenda. And again, it's not experimentation really. It's confirmed whatever they're doing is problematic. Where is the effort to pull funding for this. Just the opposite. Many Republicans wrote a letter demanding more funding for it. So we have no team on the field. That's what really matters here. But it's funny, they're all like, promises made, promises kept from the GOP House. How beautiful. In fact, it's ridiculous. Now folks, while we had these terrible mandates on us. And then they got businesses to mandate the shots. And then they're like, well, a business could tell you what to do. In fact, the business can't tell you what to do. In fact, they have endless HR, labor requirements, wrongful termination suits, all sorts of things. If you run a small business, even with five, 10, 15 people, you know that you wanna focus on you know, the industry that you're in, not on HR compliance. But typically, it could cost $80,000, $90,000 to hire an HR manager. What if I told you that I can get you one just for 99 bucks a month at Bambi? Bambi is a service where they provide you with a dedicated HR manager. So you're dealing with the same person who is familiar with your company. They're available by phone, email, real-time to deal with onboarding from you know, terminations, uh, monitor team members performance and making sure that your business stays compliant with the ever-changing and growing HR regulations also Bambi's HR autopilot program you'll be able to automate automate important HR practices like setting policies training and feedback um they're, they're us based uh, in person obviously dedicated to your business giving you access to all of their HR expertise so again, Imagine taking an eighty thousand dollar expenditure and making it about twelve thousand a year and it's month to month. So it's not even twelve, it's ninety-nine a month. You could always cancel, you could try it. Also, if you go to Bambi.com and then type in conservative review under, you know, they ask you which podcast you heard it on, you could schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your pay your plate today. So that's Bambi. BAM to the B, B-A-M-B-E-E B-A-M-B-E-E.com, com. Type in conservative review. You didn't get into small business to be a steward for government regulation. So um, just one thing before we go on. I know a lot of you have been sending prayers, asking questions about Steve. Suddenly, Steve's wife uh, put out a post last night that uh, he has some sort of infection, was in the ER. Um, I don't know more than you do. I, I texted uh, his wife, Amy, Um, So, but as of this morning, Tuesday morning, I don't know more, Um, you know, I I don't get the impression that it's life-threatening, but he's pretty knocked out, so he'll be off the air. Um, Really, really feel bad for him, because this was his, you know, week of glory, coming out with Nefarious Plot, his successful movie, Um, and make sure you you guys, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you could sign up this week to to hear it. So he's with our prayers uh, this week. And it's just, it's just, you know, he's a healthy 49-year-old guy. So I don't, I don't know the story, but it just, again, shows you how fickle we are in the palm of God's hands. It also shows you how, how fleeting life is, how suddenly, you know, things could come up. And just another reason why it's just not worth playing politics as an end to itself. Life ends very quickly, and we're all going to have to give an account one day, some quicker than others, and we'll never know when our time is. You know, for all this uh, transhumanism, they think they could play God. <laughs> the one thing they'll never control is uh, when God shuts off the light switch on you. And the question is, are you prepared to stand before that heavenly court and, and say, look, you know, I tried to walk in your ways. I tried to stand for truth and justice and do what's right. That's all, that's all we can do. The grifting and the stupid posturing in politics, it's just not worth it. Obviously, hopefully Steve will, uh, as we say in my religion, should live till 120 when Moses died. Um, so hopefully his, his number won't be called for many, many years because we certainly need his voice. But, um, you know, his family needs your prayers now, and we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated. Um, the next big issue where you see this dynamic of too little, too late is immigration, Finally, now, 10 years later, like, yeah, border security. Yeah, the cartels are a problem. Yeah, I talked about the cartels last decade. But now, I mean, this is way past that. Anything beyond state enforcement, state interior enforcement and deportations is meaningless. As always, there is only one man leading on that issue. Um. Desantis pushes toughest immigration crackdown in the nation. He has an immigration package coming up in the next couple weeks in the legislature. It's expected to pass, and the bills would basically. Expose people to felony charges for sheltering, hiring, and transporting illegals. It requires hospitals to ask patients their immigration status and report to the state, so that way we can monitor the magnitude of the cost, the anchor babies, things like that. Requires hospitals to ask patients their immigration status. Yeah, we said that one. Invalidates out-of-state driver's licenses issued to illegals. By the way, some red states are doing it directs the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to provide assistance to federal authorities in enforcing nations' immigration laws. Um, He has also proposed eliminating in-state tuition that was given offered by that stupid previous Republican governor, Um, also going after the bennies for DACA, which um, Trump is very supportive of, by the way. And... That's where it is. And again, I mean, you guys heard him a year and a half ago on this show. He's like, hey, you get me other governors. I'll work together for, to, to create a state deportation program. So that's where it's at. That's what what it means to know what time it is. Yet, we don't have anyone. And again, I'd be remiss to say, Trump had his chance on this issue. This was the issue that made his campaign that made him win the primary anyone will tell you you know because he was floating around for a while everyone thinks like he stepped onto the scene and immediately he surged remember early on jeb bush was leading in the polls you know it was i mean it was all superficial he took off when he embraced that issue as president i could tell you for the most part it was dismal. We covered it day to day to day. Basically, the intensity to which I covered COVID, those of you who remember the show from 2017, 2018, 2019, that's the intensity I covered immigration. That was the top issue I covered. And we begged the guy to do the right thing. The, we had a worse border surge than under Obama. We had a worse um, collapse of interior enforcement in most parts of the country than certainly Obama's first term and Trump, you know, even as he talked tough, he had mixed messages. We always had to fight through Kushner and the shallow state. I, I just don't understand why that's not a problem. Remember that his top domestic policy advisors were Koch officials like Brooke Rollins, who very passionately supported amnesty. So we were still battling that in middle And anyone who worked in the admin who is good will tell you that had Trump had a second term, we would have had to battle the equivalent of the First Step Act on jailbreak with amnesty. So, again, a big, big contrast on that issue. And I could tell you, I know personally, he was always very consistent on that, even on legal immigration that needs to work for Americans um, because he was – DeSantis was on the House Judiciary Committee during that era – When Republicans were still looking for a way to negotiate with Obama at the end of the second term um, for some sort of uh, DACA this or dream that in exchange for this notional fake um, border security, which means nothing. It's not about border security. And this is one of my concerns that, you know, as part of the debt ceiling fight, they're going to say we need border funding. The Democrats will be fine. We'll give you border funding. (laughs) We have no problem giving more money to DHS. You know what they do with it, by the way? They spy on Americans. <laughs> okay, it's interior enforcement. Just saying a, that that exclusively target illegals, not American citizens. Of course, is the only way to do it. That's the reality. But you know, of course, we're always uh, we're always behind. We're always always behind. And by the way, speaking of being behind, um, one more important uh, sponsor today. Don't get caught flat-footed and be behind on your medications. Um, there is, I'm just looking at this now. This is from News Nation now. Three out of four pharmacies struggle to fill amoxicillin prescriptions. Strep throat is soaring. I don't know if that's because kids wore masks where we bacterial traps for so long. If it's because of weakened immune system or some other reason, who knows? But strep is increasing, so there's a big run on antibiotics. And you can't get it in many places. That's why, while we still can, go to Jace Medical, J-A-S-E-Medical.com and go fill out a uh, questionnaire so they could offer you a real prescription from a licensed doctor. They send it to you within a few days very quickly. I got mine just just, you know, maybe really three days afterwards. And what's a Jace case? Five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use, so you have it on hand in case um, our government uh, does their thing again. But there's already the shortage: uh, amoxicillin, doxycycline, azithromycin, all those important antibiotics. Make sure you have your case. JaceMedical.com, and also don't forget to put in promo code review at checkout to get a small discount at JaceMedical.com be prepared for the next COVID genocide so speaking of DeSantis um, I want to play a clip here he's been on a recent tour, speaking tour he was at Hillsdale College in Michigan it's a little, little bit of a long clip but I think it's worth listening to get a glimpse into his understanding of what needs to be done now let's take a listen right here So, folks, that was actually a very profound statement. It's funny, you never hear this from Trump, governing philosophy. But I don't mean just in a very, like, you know, I'm a constitutional conservative for limited government. He got very specific, and he demonstrates that he knows what time it is. It's not just about, oh, hands off. Yeah, you obviously want the state to be hands off in certain ways in regulating and taxing you, but... At the same time, if you're going to fight back, you need state interposition against federal tyranny. And he he noted, I have the responsibility to protect my citizens from having the pathologies of the left imposed upon them. So, folks, would you rather hear this message or the psychotic blubberings from those social media posts for the next year and a half? See, this is this is w- w- what matters to me. Like I said, to me if you take DeSantis and you trumpize him, meaning you worship him and be like, "Oh my gosh, we're going to die unless he's elected president." Well, then you land in the same place because honestly, we can't wait till January 25, and even then it's very limited as to what a president can and will do. And my view is the federal government is done with. But it's having a voice. As the top guy messaging this sort of vision and agenda so that we start, you know, because right now everyone's trying to mimic Trump. But if you have candidates for everything from state legislature to governor to state attorney general to county positions on this message that you need a hands on approach to confront the problems, meet it, jump the wave, don't get washed over by the wave. You see a problem, get ahead of the curve. Like we're saying, let's not wait now until they have self-spreading vaccines and mRNA in the animal, in, 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 the, in, the, in the pork and, and, and meat supply and the chicken supply and even milk supply like the Chinese are starting to do. Let's confront the evil ahead of time. And yet Republicans won't even confront it three years into it. They're still up to like lockdowns. That, that's kind of where they are on the spectrum. While well, they're onto the next gen of warp speed. And again, I think back to how much we pissed away 20 years worth on post 9-11, building the security state, flying around overseas, while well, we enhanced the very state that was going after us. The war was always at home. And again, I don't think that Islamic terror is fake. Part of why I got swept into it is because part of my religious beliefs, I did believe in the end of times there would be a fight with the descendants of Ishmael. And I do think that struggle does exist. But just like with China or anything else, to the extent that there is a foreign policy, external existential threat, it's because of the internal threat of our own government facilitating it. And it's kind of a two-step process where, one, the government facilitates the chaos. So they open our border, they double, triple Islamic immigration, then you have a certain degree of real problems from it, and then, boom, they could come in with the tyranny. That's what anarcho-tyranny is. Open the border, let out the criminals. Weaken our resolve overseas. So flush the money on Ukraine. Now they're crying about this leak of their strategic plans in Ukraine were leaked somehow, and they're so devastated. But the problem isn't so much the leak. The problem is that they're that the the nature of their plans of how they've been flushing 150 billion for nothing. There, you know, we flushed 2.26 trillion on building Afghanistan over 20 years, more than the Marshall Plan that rebuilt Europe. That's the insanity. So we helped create that security state, which needs to be dismantled. And that's what they're doing now. At the same time, they're ratcheting up the tyranny, spying on and surveilling and creating chaos with even Catholics of all people locking up people for January 6 when now it it you know it not only didn't they do anything wrong but to the extent even a few people did anything wrong it was a fed setup but then you have people being arrested for self defense from the very things that they unleashed so they unleash BLM they un- let out criminals they opened the border So you have these cases now with ranchers being confronted by cartels stomping on their ranches knowing that they have the full support of our government. And then, of course, is this other trend we're seeing. What happens when you create mental illness between the fentanyl, between the lockdowns, just the TikTok craziness, the nuttiness, and then particularly... One analog of it, which is the tranny stuff. You know, you're know, you starting to see this a lot more. By the way, the, the Louisville shooting yesterday at the Louisville Bank, five people killed. That was a, someone that had a him, his pronouns in his whatever social media profile. Now, I don't know if the guy officially practiced trannyism. But again, it was that what, what do you think when you create an entire generation like that? those people will be the most likely to act out. I'm not saying the trannyism is the only mental illness problem. We have plenty of that without it, with all these shootings, but that's part of it. Andy No reports, a tranny brutally murdered a Portland cab driver. And there's a trend, there's this undercurrent that we're seeing this a lot more than we think. It composes a much bigger percentage. And, and, and again, I just want to say this is very important because from a criminology standpoint, the percentage of very violent crimes from white people is very low. We talk about this all the time. Most violent crime is committed by blacks. But most trannies are white. So this is a very noticeable, clearly punching above their weight, In terms of violent crime. And that's all related to mental illness. Not to say that mental illness is the only driver of violent crime. It's not. I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, everyone has to be kind of crazy to kill someone. But um, I'm talking about official mental illness. This this disquiet is being sowed by our government. They're sowing disquiet, discord, chaos. Why? To then consolidate power. And then you get stuck between a rock and a hard place. So you're a rancher at the border. You either get attacked by the cartels or you get prosecuted by the government. We let out violent criminals. Well, if they're a protected class, they're black or they're the right cause, like BLM and Tifa, you're stuck. Carried by, by 12, tried by, uh, carried by six, tried by 12. What are you going to do? That's what they're trying to do. That's what the FBI's entire mission is. So that's why we've come to a point. I mean, I'm fine with abolishing it completely, but at a minimum, every federal agency and there's multiple, there's Homeland Security Investigations, HSI. They need to be cut down to size. Have international sex trafficking, a couple of defined statutes that they're responsible for. And beyond that, nothing, and then you have a full ban on carte blanche surveilling sting operations, investigating religious, social, and political groups as a whole. If there's probable cause an individual committed a crime, then fine, although that should be dealt with by state law enforcement. If it's not a very select category. The whole myth that you need Federal police is insane. You don't need that. And that's such, that, that is more dangerous than a standing army. So like, oh yeah, the army doesn't operate domestically, which I think that's also, also breaking down too. But then, the FBI is bigger than any standing army and more powerful and has more high-tech tech, you know, uh, capabilities than our founders could have ever envisioned. And they could target all Americans. And I used to think, oh my gosh, you have the terrorists. Is that? Let's face it, when was the last time they actually really thwarted any of these attacks? No, we always, they somehow always miss it. So I am willing to forego, I am willing to forego that degree of security to the extent it even existed in order to fight the tyranny. Because, you know, I think where a lot of us have changed post 9-11 is, the degree of threat we have from the tyranny of our own government is much greater than any threat that would engender a need for, for somehow a federal Bureau of Investigations. And by the way, HSI too, I don't know if you guys saw this from a, a motion filed by one of the J6 uh, lawyers. The DOJ now admits that of the 13 Proud Boys involved, which January six, eight or more were paid by the FBI to provide information to the government. The FBI composed the majority of the Proud Boys, and they now admit that another 40 undercover agents were with the Proud Boys on January 6th from Homeland Security Investigations. So in addition to the FBI, you have HSI. By the way, HSI is part of ICE. A lot of people don't realize that. So they took ice and rather than having them focus on illegals, they focus on us. So they treat there there's two when you when you think of ice like deporting illegals, that's um that's um man I'm I'm drawing a blank here. I can't believe it. I dealt with this for 10 years. Um that's the office of of removals. Um where they they focus exclusively on illegal aliens, but they're viewed as janitors. They're not considered agents. Only HSI is. Why in the world do you need HSI in addition to the FBI? Okay. ERO, I'm sorry, enforcement and removal operations. I can't remember. ERO is what removes illegals. HSI is just another, you know, stupid thing that shouldn't exist, targeting Americans. So think about that. Half of ICE is used for that. We have we have millions upon millions of illegals. There's only six thousand ERO officers. So what I would do is I would cut ninety percent of the FBI's budget. Do what we said. You know, Make it that they have a targeted uh, purview and then everyone else, everything else they do, is subject to a private cause of action that a citizen or a group of people could say we are being illegally targeted. And look, if Muslims want to use it, then let them use it. I don't care anymore. That's the reality. And then HSI needs to be rolled into ERO. That entire purview needs to be abolished and that money needs to be given to ERO to remove... Illegals. But this is where our government is. Then finally, I want to get to you know, we're talking about the Tranny crimes. I couldn't believe it. I saw a clip from Bruce Jenner on Fox, and he says, Stop erasing women. Stand with me to fight against this insanity. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the GOP. 20 years into an issue, facilitate it, refuse to fight it. Again, the training stuff has been going on for a decade. I was fighting the bathroom thing in Baltimore County like 12 years ago already. Um, And and nothing. It's the female sports. Don't destroy female. So you have Jenner out there saying it's terrible what they're doing to female sports. When it's his grooming that has done it. But he's the champion. He's also a big Trump guy, too. That's the whole Trump-Mar-a-Lago tranny you know, homosexual agenda. And that, my friends, is the GOP. Have the conservative version of whatever degenerate thing they're doing walk it back two inches. It's okay to cut the balls off to groom... Not just okay, but you have Jenner out there doing his thing everywhere. His entire presence is, there's only one purpose of having him on. It's not because he has unique political insights. We know why Fox puts him on. And all of it, the bathrooms, this, that, the transhumanism, just don't screw with female sports. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's the most important thing in civilization. So you could have 20% of youngsters identify as that thing. Destroy civilization. Destroy procreation. Don't touch the female sports. You know what? Once you're on that, I'd rather you have the men in the female sports already. I actually want it. I actually think it helps our cause. Go own it. Go own it. Because, of course, there's nothing more important than obsessing about female sports. Whatever, I'll stop there because I'll get into trouble. But, you know. But anyway, it's that type of stuff that the FBI is working on, the PSYOPs. They're involved in the vaccination PSYOPs. They're involved in the anti-religious PSYOPs, the training PSYOPs. Just want to end this segment with a clip from Ron Paul. Boy, was that man ahead of his time. Four decades ago, he warned about what the FBI was primarily doing. And I'll tell you, at the time, not four decades ago, I was too young, but, um, you know, post 9-11, I didn't want to hear it. Woe, Woe to us. What a shame on us that we spent the entire time when we could have saved civilization from this actually helping the bad guys. Take a listen to Ron Paul. 40 years ago.
1: When we talk about the free state of Florida, yes, I mean freedom in a sense of absence of government getting involved in your business. I think that's typically when you believe in constitutionally limited government. You keep government in its corner, keep it cabined. Uh, And I think traditionally we assume the rest of society would function uh, better. Well, I think modern times we've seen the left get into so many different arteries of our society. So yes, you have to limit government's involvement with you, but you also have to contest the left and all these other institutions. So when I say the free state of Florida, uh, I mean not only uh, limited government, but I also mean I have a responsibility to protect my citizens from having the pathologies of the left imposed upon them by all these other institutions in our society. So yes, we win legislative battles. The state of Florida uh, has no income tax. You guys in Michigan should try that sometime. It works out pretty good. (laughs) We have our budget in Florida, even though we have millions of more people than the state of New York, Our budget is half the size of the budget of the state of New York. Yet we have better services, education, and infrastructure. Where is their money going? Uh, So we have one of the smallest per capita tax and debt and government employee ratios anywhere in the country. That's traditional limited government, good for business, good for economic growth, absolutely. But that in this day and age is not enough. And there are some Republicans that think their job is to cut taxes and not do anything else. That is not how we conceive of our job. We in Florida drove the stake in the heart of COVID authoritarianism in this country. We saved the country from Fauciism.
0: Wow, folks. Unbelievable. That man was ahead of his time on so many things. If we only would have listened. I joined everyone when he was running for president in 2008, scorning upon what he said about the war on terror. You know, I think a lot of us were, that generation, were looking for a sense of purpose. The 90s was kind of a boring time. We wanted to bring back the World War II glory of America, and we thought the wars were it, you know, Islam and this and that. It was actually a brilliant tactic from the FBI because they fake fought Islam. So they made that the main issue, but at the same time, kind of like, you know, brought in the Muslim Brotherhood, had the PC, and they knew that the people in America, the most threatening to their agenda would be the right, the, you know, religious Christians and everything. So they went ahead and made this about Islam, but then we're weak on it. So if anything, we we're like, what the heck? You're not doing enough to go after Islam. And we wasted, we had a lost decade and a half on that. And now we're left with all these authorities and agencies putting us in the gulag. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now speaking of the gulag, we have in the remaining few minutes here with us a very special guest we had on uh, you know, two weeks ago, who has represented people in the gulag January 6th, but also the widows, the widows of the COVID genocide. Brad Geyer, he's an attorney, co-founder of the former Feds group. Um, worked for the Justice Department, like we've been talking about for two decades, and it's heart heart wrenching watching what our own government is doing to us. Imagine being an attorney both dealing with January 6th and COVID. And we've been shut out of the courts on both fronts. There's no justice, no anything. We just saw um, the government and Pfizer succeeded on the motion to dismiss with the anti-fraud lawsuit in Texas against Pfizer for their fraudulent clinical trials. But there's one lawsuit on remdesivir that looks like it is succeeding so far. And this might open up something in the future, and I figured I wanted to (coughs) give you guys some sort of update on this because I get so many emails, and I know there's a lot of people in this audience that are widowed um, because of Remdesivir and what it's done, and the fact that it's still the standard of care is unbelievable, so with us now to give us that update is Brad himself. Hey, Brad, thanks so much for joining us on short notice.
2: Hey, Daniel, it's always great to talk to one of the foremost freedom fighters that I know and also a, a, a tremendous friend. Thank you, Daniel.
0: Well, it's not just freedom, but we're actually fighting for our lives. I mean, who would have ever thought the government would create a perverse incentive, not just for a couple of weeks, but to this day, three years and counting, um, something that universally, any doctor will tell you, is unsafe and ineffective, but they're still using it. Um, Could you give us an update on this lawsuit in California, surviving a motion to dismiss against Remdesivir, Who's the defendant? Who's the plaintiff? Um, what sort of um, authorities are they using? And how did it survive a challenge from the PREP Act that, that absolves you know Remdesivir and Gilead from all liability?
2: So when we were trying to come up with a solution to this eternal puzzle about how to stop the decline, how to stop the, what looked like a controlled, starting to look like a controlled demolition – one of the greatest countries that has ever existed in modern civilization. Um, we, Rather than focusing on finding the perfect case and trying to artfully plead it in a way that gets it up, you know, all the way through the Supreme Court wins, we focused on building systems. We were working on the supply and the demand curve. On the supply curve, we have now over, I think we're approaching 800 recorded victim witness interviews of next of kin, some of whom are plaintiffs plaintiffs. On, this, on the uh, demand side, we worked on um, building a coterie of law firms that share information and can then spread out across the country, start filing these cases, and stop the carnage. And our first, one of the first attorneys who we started to collaborate with was Matthew P. Tyson in California. We sent him a case of Evangeline Ortega, um, who was um, uh, her, her husband was killed, um, using these protocols in California. He came up with a very novel theory, um, based on constructive fraud and also violation of an elder abuse and, uh, dependent adult, um, civil protection act that exists in California. We're now extrapolating this across the country. Um, and he was able to get through essentially motions what what in that context in the state of California is through the motion to dismiss. This is the first one to get through. We're, we're, we're very excited because it's authentication, early authentication of our business model. Um, we have, I think approaching 30 other, uh, victims that, um, were, were, were sent to him. Um, and there's also, uh, two other attorneys in California who've been filing away, um, uh, uh uh oh boy i'm blanking out the last names um sure michael hamilton and um i'm sorry i'm I'm blanking out yeah i
0: saw michael um, hamilton but th- so but but the question is i i think what people want to know is that they've been told told now that there's no way you can go after him um because they're absolved absolutely liability. not
2: we're going after him hard on every single level we're so, going so after who, them who, hard who on is the every defendant? single yeah. level The defendant here is um, Redlands Community Hospital and the physicians who who owed uh, a duty to the deceased. Um, And a lot of the way that the pleadings will change based on certain milestones that occurred during the covid uh, pandemic. In this case, um, a key milestone was in November. The who basically came out and said remdesivir doesn't work. If you can even imagine in November of 2020 or 2021 i i I can't recall right now but one of those dates the who came out with a big exhaustive worldwide study and said remdesivir doesn't work and it won't shock you or your listeners to know that to this very day remdesivir is being used in american hospitals
0: so obviously gilead is exempt but you're saying you could go after individual hospitals for using it but don't the hospitals have the protection of the government saying, hey, we approve this for COVID, government's giving them money for it, and that they're just following government protocol?
2: That's, that's going to be a defense, but then the, the, you know, the, the question is, is even with that, based on all the information you have, was it, was it reasonable um, to follow those protocols, given the overwhelming evidence that physicians were seeing and continue to see that remdesivir is basically a death cocktail. Um, we have a, another group that we work with and we're actually doing fundraising for through the selling of uh, allergy bracelets at chbmp.org is, has is sitting on a rimdesivir suit that they plan on filing in the Northern District of California. Um, and we have, you know, many other suits in the works to be filed around the country involving Uh, Vaccine involving uh, uh, remdesivir, um, wrongful death, um, everything up to including, you know, intentional, uh, uh, essentially, homicide. Um, And on April 19th, uh, our victims will be reaching out to the FBI and all the uh, FBI resident agency offices and making complaints um, we're gonna we're gonna measure the response of the FBI, and see if the FBI is still in the business of protecting national security interests and protecting crime victims. We're gonna find out because our victims are going to be making case referrals to the FBI about um, involving the uh, injury and death to themselves and to their loved ones.
0: You know, I was surprised. I just found this yesterday. I I don't remember it at the time. Maybe you do. Last year, the Military Times had an article about the Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, made, did a report on remdesivir on how more than half, or depending on the data point, but you know roughly half for each one, I'm just going to summarize, where the, the physicians at the VA facilities failed to notify patients, give them a fact sheet about remdesivir, failed to notify them that, that it was not fully approved, Um, failed to notify that they had options to refuse remdesivir, failed to give them the risk and benefits of the drug, and failed to advise them on alternatives to receiving the drug. Very interesting there. Do you think that's an angle for some of these lawsuits?
2: Yes. um, And based on 700-plus interviews now, uh, we know that that was a standard feature. Every single... Kind of creative withholding of informed consent, um, all involved, you know, trickery and and um, fraud and and uh, uh, you know uh, we have extensive um, accounts of this. And as you know, Daniel, for hundreds of years, civilization it seems like it hit a high point in 1947 when it built everything around informed consent. That was a thing that protected everybody from. Medical experimentation, like we saw in the concentration camps, and shockingly, our government in 2020 basically revoked informed consent. Um, so, you know, we were at a civilizational high point, I think, and now we're clearly uh, on the decline. And informed consent is basically has, has it is dead.
0: Quick question here: You have obviously a lot of people who died. Is there any evidence that has come to your law firm of living people that maybe walked out of the hospital, but they have some sort of, you know, kidney problems or crystals on their kidney uh, as a result of having gone through the course of remdesivir, but they're still alive?
2: Absolutely. Um, We have uh, a good number, I don't know what the exact numbers are out of the 700 plus, but We have a good number of survivors and it takes them many, many months to recover. Um, And we'd like to think that at some point full recovery is possible, but um, uh, it seems like it's a far off goal now for the vast majority of our victims who survived. That was really how we were able to put together a composite view from actual eyewitnesses because those 25 commonalities that we discussed last time um, in in terms of how the scheme unfolded, a lot of that was put together with eyewitness testimony from next of kin who were banned from, from the actual uh, hospital rooms or the hospital itself. Um, So we had to like aggregate as many glimpses as they got, plus as many victim witness, uh, victim accounts of survivors to put together those top 25 commonalities, but to answer your question, yes, there's extensive damage that, that's done as a result of the um, COVID treatment in the hospitals. There's a long recovery period, and of course, we have all the injuries that are caused by the vaccine, and many of those injuries, when it results in death, they're, they're, they're wrongly booked as, as COVID-19 deaths, even though it's a vaccine death, and they never get captured in theirs.
0: No, no, that's that's for sure. Very few are reported in VARES. Where could people find out more about what you're doing, help out? Or if we have widows themselves listening here, if they want to join a lawsuit, tell their story, where could they go to get hooked up with your group?
2: Uh, they can go to CHBMP, CHBMP.org. Um, they'll see a button where they can uh, fill out a request to be interviewed. We're we're in the process of locating attorneys in all 50 states. We have a meeting with over 30 attorneys this afternoon. Uh, We do that weekly to a growing number of attorneys that are taking these cases. Also there, you will see um, an allergy bracelet that funds uh, our upcoming. This law firm is going to file a remdesivir suit in the Northern District of California. It's an allergy bracelet. Uh, we have three confirmed saves of people uh, whose lives are saved by having this, this allergy bracelet on. We have examples where family members with no choice sent their family members into the hospital and they wrote in black indelible Sharpie, thick mm-hmm. Sharpie on their, on their arms, no remdesivir, no vent. And those patients still got remdesivir and they still got vent vents, but they're conditioned to respond to these allergy bracelets so we have remdesivir and two other drugs listed there that that are part of the death cocktail. And we have three um, reported examples where we, we believe that those uh, uh, save the patients that were wearing them. It also um, it also protects. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it also f- is going to fund this this litigation in California, which is going to be very expensive.
0: No, definitely. CHP. Will be. Yeah. Former feds CHPNP. group dot org. Wait, oh, no, Facebook. Well, that, well oh, that's your, your, your law firm. I'm
2: <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah, well, so, so we, have three fa- we have four phases of, you know how censorship has been. So we're in our second phase of websites. We had to make it redundant and spread it all over the place because the risk of platforming is so high. Um, and the second phase is chbmp.org there's no backslash and anything to follow. If you see it takes you to a landing page that has the bracelets and also allows you to get interviewed. Wow.
0: Now, this is vital work to ensuring this never happens again, that we have justice. You're at the head of Nuremberg 2.0. And again, good news in California, surviving motion to dismiss is a pretty big deal given what we've experienced so far. Definitely keep us updated on this. And we'll have to jump back to January 6th at a later date. God bless you for your work. We'll be in touch.
2: God bless you, sir. Thank you so much.
0: Take care. So folks, certainly a lot to chew on. there. always striving to be ahead of the curve. That's what we need to do. Look at where the biggest threats to our life, liberty, property, way of life exist. And what are the most effective ways to confront them? I will admit that even what I focus on and think of strategically, I still think is still playing catch up. Um, There's got to be something that is much greater than anything we're proposing but somehow is achievable. We all need to think about that, pray for solutions, but what we must not do is lapse into the same failures over and over again. We have to feel that sense of urgency because I shudder to think what would need to happen to make us feel more urgent and emergent Uh, Because I don't want something worse than what we suffered for from the last few years, but that's what will happen if we don't wake up right here right now. I will be out for the middle of the week again. Um, Sorry about the tough scheduling, but I will be back for the end of the week. Um, But again, you could always email me, danielherwitz, at startmail.com. Let's pray for Steve's recovery um, and for the recovery of really so many people that have been sick from everything from COVID to the shots to remdesivir. God knows what else they have in store for us. Till then, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.